Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. And now in the wings, where writer Joanne Ryan and actor Eamon Hunt talk about their work on existentialism by Joanne Ryan. My name is Joanne Ryan. My name is Eamon Hunt. The name of the play is Existentialism. The play is about me trying to figure out whether or not I should have a child. Um, It's an autobiographical show. And the journey that I went on to try and find the answer to that decision. But it's told through the prism of Ireland's reproductive health history and the context that I was making that decision in a few years ago. And it's also mirroring my mum's experience of getting pregnant with me in the late 70s at a time when contraception was still illegal in Ireland. And yeah, so it's sort of, she's she's in the show actually, she plays herself in audio recordings throughout and she's gas and she's all the best lines. Um, But she's also there acting as an intergenerational link because it's sort of looking at how things have changed or not um, for women in different generations in Ireland. Well, I play a character called The Undertaker who appears quite briefly but to impart an important piece of family information to Joanne and that in part of the sort of the larger chorus who fill out a lot of the detail of the play, the, the, the headlines from the news of the time, the attitudes of the time, the mores of the time from the beginning of the state right through to the present time and the arrival of the internet. And this is all to do with the the subject matter of the play, of course. It started uh, when I was on a development scheme, a theatre development scheme, and we were working called Hatch LK in Limerick, run through the Bell Table Arts Centre. And we were working with members of a company called Theatre Uncut from the UK who make political theatre. So I knew going into it that I was going to be developing a political piece theatre, but I didn't know what about. And on the first day, we did an icebreaker and the guys got us to talk about, for one minute, about things that we were angry about or afraid of. So I did my rant. And at the end of it, I said, as a joke, kind of, and I don't know whether or not I should have a baby. And everyone laughed. Um... But the joke was on me because I realised as I was saying it that it was true and it was about a week before my 35th birthday so it was kind of coming up to that age where you know we're told as women that our fertility is about to fall off a cliff and I hadn't really considered it before and I thought I was thinking about uh, the fact that I was sort of part of the first cohort of people in Ireland certainly who had the choice for the first time because my mum didn't contraception was still illegal when she got pregnant with me in Ireland for unmarried couples. And I thought that's really interesting, actually. So now that now that we have the choice, how do we make it? It's a very deft piece of writing because what on the surface of it could appear to be a piece of, um, you know, to do something that's self-centred, essentially, but to, to broaden that out, you know, from a, um, a personal story that isn't um, self-indulgent, Far from it in this case, it becomes not just one woman's story, a contemporary Irish woman, but the story of her mother, her grandmother and society at large, the place of women in Irish society and their reproductive rights, their fertility, their choices in terms of motherhood, when they decide to be a mother, if they're allowed to be, uh, to decide whether they become a mother, the choices that women had 
didn't have right through the um, the modern Irish state right up to the present time the information they were they had access to the information they were denied the choices they were denied it's an incredibly deft piece of writing in, in the ground that it covers in, in such a short piece as you'll find out if you listen to the play I was conceived during uh, <laughs> breakup sex in the Limerick Inn Hotel in April 1979 <laughs> there should really be a blue plaque outside commemorating that, as they say in the show. Yeah, so they weren't married and my mother got pregnant. But when she went to do the pregnancy test, the doctor who did the test said, you are pregnant, but don't worry, I'll arrange everything. The home, the disappearing, the adoption. Um, because that was the, that was Ireland then, do you know? That was the context that, that she was getting pregnant in. So she left the country for later and she went to London and I was born there and we um, we spent time in mother and baby home for homeless mothers and babies and were there and lived there happily until I was, well, we, we got a, a flat subsequently, but lived in London happily until I was six and then moved home. But I I just was really interested in her, in her experiences of, of, uh, of getting pregnant and also becoming a mother and, uh, she she died in uh, she died on May the twelfth, twenty twenty. So during some kind of the worst throes of COVID restrictions, which was very challenging. When I got the script, well, I, I had done a little homework. I, I didn't see the stage version, so that was a starting point. So apart from one of the best titles I've ever read or come across, that had me hooked immediately. One thing is that I didn't feel it was a gendered question, actually. There are some things, elements of it that are gendered. Yes, absolutely. But it, I also felt that it was kind of a generational question. So that's why it was really important for me to have Rob, my boyfriend, in the play. Uh, because when I told him, I'm thinking of writing the show about my eggs, you know, he's and I explained why. He was like, huh, that's really interesting because I'm kind of in the same boat. So I might not have the same time pressures as you. Exactly. But... I'm also that age, I'm also in my mid-30s, I also don't know if I want to have a kid, I don't want to be an old dad, you know, and I don't know what to do. So I felt like it was kind of an interesting, it was interesting to think of it generationally rather than just simply about gender. Although I do acknowledge that there is, you know, there is kind of an ownership that's felt on women's bodies generally and that's, that's part of it. I feel like things might even have moved on, to be honest, Kevin, since I made the show. It feels like when I was making that decision... Hopefully things have progressed a little bit since then. But at the time, there was fewer, certainly fewer examples of what a happy, successful, fulfilled life could look like without children. All the representations that you kind of see were of family life were very geared in Ireland socially, culturally, towards the family. Celebrations are very family focused. And so, yeah, it's, it's not really as, as represented an experience, maybe. I hope that's changing since I made the show? I, I had formed the opinion that it was a comedy. But there, there are comedic moments, and obviously Joanne comes from that background and is a funny woman and is capable of writing funny material. But it's a very serious subject matter at the end of the day. So to marry the two things, the seriousness of the subject matter and to incorporate comedy into that is, is no mean feat. And she does that extremely well. I'm working on my third show now, also inspired by her, by her and my second show, she asked me to write into minds about um, about her experience, our experiences of her bipolar disorder. She got a very late diagnosis, so she was diagnosed when she was sixty five, 
she had been misdiagnosed with sort of chronic uh, treatment resistant depression, I think was how they kind of described it for years and years and years, which can sometimes happen with bipolar disorder if if depression is one of the main features of it. Because um, there's highs and lows, there's different types, you know, so you could have an experience that's mainly characterised by highs or mainly by lows. And my mum's was with lows. So, yeah, she she woke up one day in a hypomanic state and was diagnosed that afternoon. And then we spent the next number of years kind of on a bit of a roller coaster with it, really. Um, she was in a kind of a medically induced, I suppose, in a way, um, cycle where she'd get low and then we'd increase her SSRIs, try and bring her up and then she'd get high and then we'd taper them and she'd crash and, you know, and it just went on and on. It was relentless for her, exhausting, like, but things had had very much settled down in that regard, you know, in the last couple of years before she died, which was great. She was an incredible woman. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And an amazing muse for me as an artist. Um, I grew up a few miles outside of Kinsale, so it was countryside. It could be anywhere in one sense, but, you know, Kinsale was three miles away and that was our epicentre of the world. I got into this business quite late. I, I would have been a theatre-goer in my teens and I would have had an interest in, well, televisual theatre, I suppose, to start with because when once television arrived... Drama was a very healthy part of the programming on television and RTE right from the early days, right from the get-go. So I think drama was a weekly staple on RTE and in a very contemporary sense as well because popular plays of the day were adapted and might appear on television within a very short time of being on stage. And so you had the, the cream of Irish acting talent in these plays as well, you know. So there are plays from my childhood that I remember really well, you know, like King of the Castle with Tobin and Tony Doyle and Finula Flanagan and Jackie McGowan doing Beckett and, you know, the 1966 commemoration Insurrection with Ono Sullivan and, again, the cream of Irish acting. So I would have been very, very aware of the acting fraternity, you know, but I, I, I'd suffer from faulty memory syndrome in terms of whether I wanted to be, and I, I don't think I formulated that, but at some point, I mean, I did have an interest in theatre. We were just chatting about the show and we were chatting about, I was saying, you know, should I have a kid and what should I do and what do you think? And as soon as she started speaking, I was like, wow, this is, this should be part of it. It's so interesting. And I, I can't remember which day it was that I started recording her on my phone and then we were doing it more formally, I suppose, with better recorders and stuff in the house. So I have, I mean, a huge gift to me now, especially that she's passed away, is I have hours and hours and hours of, uh, you know, recorded conversations with her going through everything, like our all of our, our whole lives together, you know, which is a beautiful thing to have. And in my late 20s, I kind of decided to get involved, but I presumed I would be doing it in a backstage way and I'd be doing it in an amateur way. But what happened was somebody told me about workshops that Tom McGinty, the famous Tom McGinty, was running in the grapevine. This is a number of years before his Dice Man persona that he created. And Tom was a very dynamic part of the Dublin theatre scene at the time. He was operating out of the Grapevine Art Centre, which was like a Northside counterpart to the project. 
and he ran theatre workshops, their improvisational workshops, and I went there and started becoming a, a, a regular. Well, one of the main differences is in the theatre production, it was very, very visual. So there was a, you know, an enormous screen and digital set design throughout, beautifully designed by Neil O'Driscoll, um, who's a gorgeous artist and designer. And so he had, there were the, the history pieces were this kind of very funny Monty Python style reeling in the years-esque kind of vibe. And so you lose all of that when you when you come to do it for radio. But I think we've gained so much as well from doing it for, for sound. So we've been able to bring in a cast, for example, which is amazing. So originally I played all of the parts myself in the original show, apart from my mother, who played herself, as I said. Um, now we have a cast, Georgina Miller, Eamon Hunt, Joan Sheehy, Rex Ryan, so that brings so much, uh, so many textures and they've been improving this morning even on different lines around different kind of comedic segments through the show and it's I can't wait to hear it. From the regular people that he had attending these, he cast a play which he directed himself called Chamber Music. He also had two other shows running in the festival that he had he was involved in. He was either in or had directed. Alwyn Fawere was in one of them. So in chamber music, you had people like um, Marion O'Dwyer was in it and um, a number of other people, Miriam Healy, you know, who went on to become professional actors who, who were already either training or working in theatre, you know. So I would have carried on with Tom. I did carry on with Tom after that show. That show was reviewed uh, along with everything else in the, in the festival that year. So suddenly you were being treated seriously as an actor, you know, on a first, well, for me anyway, it was my first outing. Rob decided at one point that he wanted to go ahead and have kids. And I was like, well, that's a much easier decision for you to make. It's a much more, you have a much more straightforward journey to that decision because, uh, and I was asking him if you could, you know, if we if there was a way that you could do it all, would you? Like with the, you know, what's the line in the play, like with all the inconvenience, incontinence, health risks, job loss, you know, like the list goes on of, uh, implications for the the vessel, as you say, um, and he said, "No, I probably wouldn't." <laughs> you know, honestly, like Tom decamps over to the west of Ireland to start a theatre company there—a very brave thing to do in Connemara somewhere—and um, a number of people that I had come in contact with, like um, Barbara Quive and Miriam Healy, who was part of that first show, they mentioned that. Well, if I was interested in keeping on. I should go to Deirdre O'Connell and the focus, which is what I did. I went and did, I won't call it, you didn't audition for Deirdre, you did an interview, which was really a friendly chat where she just sounded you out. And I was extremely lucky to meet both those people. They were extremely, they had a lot in common in terms of their openness to, you know, to, to people in terms of um, freedom or need to express themselves. And it wasn't, an elitist thing and far from it with both of them. They made it extremely easy to access a means of expressing yourself in a, in a theatrical way. I redeveloped it in 2019 for a tour because I had subsequently had a son. I had a son two and a half years ago and so when we were touring the show in 2019 to the Strollers Network around the country, we spent time, myself and Veronica and the team, redeveloping it again to include that development, but also to include all of the political developments, including most significantly the repealing of the Eighth Amendment in Ireland, which had happened since I made the show. So I felt kind of personally and politically things had had been rounded out then. So that was the, uh, that was the most significant development, I think, 
the repealing of the Eighth Amendment, yeah. Yeah, I directed for a while, like I did, you know, further work in the focus when I uh, when I stopped. I, I was with Deirdre for about three and a half to four years or so, and then I was working at the same time, maybe in other shows. But I was never directed by her because she was a great director. I know that from seeing her shows. But I did, you know, direct her in a few plays in the focus. And I directed a few plays around town, which was something I thoroughly enjoyed. And I formed a, a small company with a couple of other actors at one point, but it was financially unviable. And, you know, you're, you're, you're paying other people out of your own pocket. You're not getting paid yourself, so you can only do that for a certain amount of time. So one of the great things about uh, redeveloping the show for radio now um, has been the original sound design by a fantastic sound designer called Sinead Diskin, I feel is really going to come into its own in an even more significant way than it was in the, the theatre show. This, she just created this beautiful uh, sound design and I think Sinead's uh, sound design coupled with the sound designer at RT, Kieran Dunn, I think between them it's just going to be fantastic. Our real experience, I can't wait to hear it. It may be apt in some cases but I don't think it's a director's job to direct in the sense of like be directional you know um, that has to be part of it but to me it's largely reactive it's like show me what you've got so actors do obviously think about what they're going to do they put thought into it's not just and and, and it is an emerging thing you know you, you, you struggle with learning lines and then gradually it reveals itself I mean, I could give you a glib answer, as in, if you want to know what a good director is, you know, sit in on this production and watch Veronica at work. You know, she's forensic in attention to detail. But she also, which is a large part of what a director does, is creating the atmosphere in, in a rehearsal room or here in a studio that allows people the freedom, the courage, all of those things to, to express, you know, what the playwright is wanting to transmit. Uh, Veronica is a very good example of what a good director is, actually. Well, in terms of childcare, one of the one of the statistics that is in the show, uh, there was a survey done when I was making the show in uh, 2016 by the UN. Uh, so it was a survey that was done looking at uh, unpaid childcare around the world. So who's doing it? And Ireland was the worst in the world in 2016. Only at that time, only 6% of unpaid childcare in Ireland was done by men. That was a very stark fact. And like also the countries that they surveyed included like Iraq, Saudi Arabia. You know, it wasn't just Ireland and Scandinavia, you know. Um, That's grim. When I was in my teens, I trained as an electrician and I was um, a disaster probably. I mean, I I turned up for work and all of that, but... um, I had no aptitude for it. I, I am completely untechnically minded. So it was a, not a waste of time in one sense, other than I made friendships there that last to this day. And I don't know that I got anything else out of it, you know, and they got nothing out of me probably. So I never worked at it. And then from leaving that up until the time that I took up acting, I did various things. I did about n- numerous other jobs. But when I fell in with McGenty and then with Deirdre, well, it's pretty much as soon as I fell in with Tom McGenty, I felt I'd arrived somewhere. This is what I'm meant to be doing. When I was considering whether or not to have a child, that's definitely something that came up. But because I had been the experience of being a carer, so I was a carer for my mum 
uh, she was a carer for her parents. So I'm sort of like <laughs> the long line of carers and wondering, well, what would happen? Yeah, what happens when I'm older? But I, like, I don't think having a kid is any guarantee that they would be responsible for your care. Or that's that's or that's something that I would want. So that in uh, ultimately didn't factor into the decision at all for me personally. Yeah, it has. It's it's very important to find your your thing in life. And I mean, the business is the business, and it is a business as well as you know, an activity or a creative activity. But it is a business. So I did as well as most other people. I think out of it, you know. But in terms of giving you. Um, a reason to get up in the morning and much more than that, giving me something to be passionate about. Yes, it has given me something. And that was writer Joanne Ryan and actor Eamon Hunt talking about their work on existentialism by Joanne Ryan. The producer of In the Wings is Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. A lie told often enough becomes the truth. Drama on One, Sundays at 8pm. The pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Compassion is the basis of morality. Drama on One. The tongue like a sharp knife kills without drawing blood. Drama on One. I'm Stanley Townsend. I'm Angeline Ball. I'm Stephen Ray. Hi, I'm Lawrence Kinlan. Hi, I'm Saoirse Ronan. I'm Nick Dunning. Hi, I'm Brendan Gleeson and you can hear me at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one.